devotions I've been going through uh, the book of Hebrews and uh, you know the theme all the way through the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better amen well that fits that song right there doesn't it I'd rather have Jesus than anything Jesus is better first Peter chapter number two this morning first Peter chapter number two and if you flip there and you get to find your place in God's Word. We're going to continue right through our series here. And last week, uh, yeah, I was telling you, as you get to certain sections of Scripture, one of the things, if you, if you preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, there's, there, there are sections of Scripture you probably wouldn't choose to preach unless you were doing that. This is one of those. You don't hear a ton on this. On this. And unfortunately, even though I had great desire and great unction to get it all done one week so I can get on some other stuff, uh, I didn't. <laughs> so today we're going to be a little bit of a part two of last week, uh, and that is the idea of this, uh, submitting to authorities in our spiritual house. And, and so as we look there, First Peter chapter number two, we're going to have to review just a little bit. And, and so last week we learned some truths when it comes to this, and here's the truth I want you to know. God has ordained authorities in our lives and he commands us to submit to them. That's just a simple, straightforward truth. you got to realize that. i got to realize that. Every one of us have an authority in our lives. The Bible tells us over and over, there's folks we're to submit to. Children, you're supposed to submit or obey. Your parents, wives, submit to the husbands. Church, to your pastors. Listen, and then last week as we got into the, the text, he's telling us, he's teaching us that we are as citizens and even as foreigners to submit to the government authorities that God has placed in our lives. And, and we, we started to look at that. And so last week we learned this truth. As foreigners, we're to submit to the government authority. And, and we went through that. And I, I gave you three primary reasons that we don't submit. And, and they were simply this. Because number one, because it's no longer taught in the house. That's still true this week, amen. That hadn't changed in one week. And if you don't teach your children to submit to authority in the house, they'll never submit to authority out of the house and it all begins in the home rightfully so and then then the second one was simply this because you and I if we get real honest and and quit putting on our spiritual face we are inherently prideful people I'll say that about four times till I get in. don't worry I'll, I'll preach the same message twice that doesn't matter to me we got to get this down amen listen we're living in a day where everybody wants their way wants what they believe what's their thoughts and they everybody wants to be followed and and everybody thinks they know best and and we want to lead, we don't want to follow anybody, and it is, we want our own way, and the Bible tells us what that word is, it's called pride. And the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. So let me just give you a simple formula. You got contention in your life, you upset about this or that, or all out of sorts, and got problems and contentions and fussing and fighting, here's the problem, in your life it's called pride. That means there's pride in your life. It means there's pride in my life when I have it as well. And, and so we got to understand that. And that probably means you have a problem with submission, which is why maybe we got to cover it twice. I don't know what the Lord's doing there. And listen to this. Everybody wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to be a follower. But I gave you this truth, and it's still true this week. You will never be a good leader till you first learn to be a good follower then the third reason we confuse it is probably the biggest reason of all is simply this we make it personal instead of positional submission isn't about me submitting to a person or a personality it's about submitting to the office to the position that God has ordained that authority in our life and we talk about quarterbacks and offensive linemen neither one's more important offensive linemen don't block quarterback don't do nothing 
Somebody say amen. Both are just as important. But listen, one, only one can be the leader, and only one's the quarterback. And, and so we continued on, and we learned last week specifically, we're submit to the rule of government. And, and the Bible told us to submit to every ordinance. That means not just the individual laws, but it means the institutions itself, those who help create the laws and enforce the law. That means when you get pulled over that blue light, sir, ma'am, you better calm yourself down. You're the one who broke the law. <laughs> and respect them. Amen. And then there's one exception, though. We talked about the exception. We obey man's laws because God told us to until man's laws disobey God's law. That's the exception, and we got to make sure we understand that exception today. Then we also learned this, that we submit to the role of government. And we, we saw in our text exactly what the role of government is from the Bible, biblical role of government, and it isn't what everybody thinks it is because it contradicts with what everybody thinks it is. The biblical role of government is simply this. It is to enforce the laws. It is to punish evildoers. That's what it is, and to praise them that do well. The quickest way to a lawless society is not to enforce the laws that are on the books. If everybody can do what they want to do, listen, we have a lawless society. Listen to what Ecclesiastes said, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, you don't punish evildoers, they're going to get worse. Let me just put that in simple English. How about that? That's what God's Word's saying. And we've changed the role of government to do everything but the one thing God ordained it to do, and that was to punish evildoers. You need an example. I don't preach out of the newspapers, out of the news very often. But you need an example. Just look what happened this week. I'm not getting into all the politics of all of it, but there was a man who had a gun in his hand, squeezed a trigger, the gun goes off, it kills somebody, and he's walking free. Are we punishing evildoers? You just answer that. And we've made government to do everything but that. And, and that's where we've gone. And, and in fact, we, we've made government to do this. And I'm going to give one more, one more before I get off government and we'll go on today. I thought about this this week. I thought about not saying it, but it's so true I'm not going to say it. I have to say it. We have turned government into God. You say, how do you mean? Well, we rely on government to provide every one of our needs, to feed us, to house us, to, to, to educate us, to, to you just go right down the list, everything, uh, to, to provide us health care and take care of the ones that are too easy to work, to educate, to regulate everything and everybody. See, we're looking to government as the provider when God says, I am the provider. You see what we've done? And government's role from the Bible was simply punish evildoers, reward them that do well. And you see where we are. But, so that was last week. And, and, uh, but this week we're going to go on as we get to verse 15. And yeah, I'm not going to have you stand because we got to roll. Because I'm not going <laughs> to preach on submission for three weeks in a row. So you stay right there. Pick up with me. Verse 15, though, in our text. And as we got there. So, so Peter writes this. He says, under the inspiration of God. For so is the will of God that with well-doing. What's the well-doing? Take it back to the context. Submitting to the authorities that God has placed in your life. That with well-doing, here's what will happen. That we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty for cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Father, I pray for the next few moments that you just arrest our attention, Lord, and that you would challenge us with this worldly mindset we've got in 
that we would look to the Bible and we would see our role in the area of submitting to the authorities and today specifically on how to live a life of submission. Bless now the teaching and the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He starts off as, as you get there, the, he says, what, here is, here's what it is. What is the ultimate motivation of submitting to authority? We've talked about why we had to do it. We talked about what it was last week and reviewed it just now. But what is the ultimate motivation of it? Let me tell you what it is. It isn't so we obey Peter. It isn't so we obey Paul. It isn't because Pastor Mike preached on it. Here's the ultimate reason, because God said so. It's obedience to an almighty God, and that's, that's the ultimate reason we should do it. And so, so as I look at it, it's simply this. It is a mandate from the Father. Look at verse 15. For so is the will of God. It's the will of God. It's that simple. For so is the will of God. Look what he goes on to say, that by well-doing, that you may put to silence the ignorance of, uh, of foolish men. So what, what's the well-doing there? Well-doing means this, by submitting to the authority. And, and to do anything less is to disobey God. God desires, he demands, and, and listen, he deserves our obedience. And, and that, that includes this area where he said to obey the authority that God has put into your life. Now, obedience is this. Uh, obedience is doing whatever God says, how he says it, and when he says it. That's a great definition, isn't it? <laughs> Doing what he says, and how he says it, and when he says it. Listen, that means we are to obey, listen, even when it's tough to obey. We're to obey the authorities in our life even when there's much uncertainty. Even we disagree sometimes with, with what's going on. We're to obey unless it disagrees with God. We've already covered that. Listen, we, even when we fear consequence, even when we might even suffer, it is the will of God, it is the mandate of the Father. And so that's one of the reasons. But as followers, not only we submit to God's authority because it's a mandate from the Father, because look, but go on, look at me, verse 15. Because it muzzles the fool. It muzzles the fool. Look with me. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing, now look what he says, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That you may put to silence, again, well-doing, what's that referring to? The context, stay in the context, refers back to the idea of obeying God by submitting to the authorities. Look what happens as a result of it. it we put to silence. That, that literally means this. It means to shut someone's mouth. <laughs> it means to put a muzzle on them and, and, and to make them basically speechless. And he goes on to say, he says, we put to silence, uh, as we look at the ignorance of foolish men. And, you know, fools get themselves in trouble a lot because they're ignorant. Anybody ever got yourself in trouble by being a fool? <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, then you, you, well, you weren't being honest just now. We all have at some point or another. But, you know, sometimes the best thing we can do, let a foolish person do is just reap what they're sowing. Did y'all know that? <laughs> in fact, I read about a, a real arrogant and prideful general. This general was walking, uh, uh, walking down the, the road there on the, on the barracks, and he saw two, two soldiers carrying this big old soup pot coming down through there. And as they're carrying this soup pot, that general said, Hey, stop! I want some of that soup. Go get me a spoon. And they said, But, but, but general, he said, Don't give me no butts! <laughs> I gave you an order. So they went and got him a spoon. and They brought him a spoon back, and he put that, that, that spoon in there, and he took a sip and I mean, spit it all over the place. He said, yuck, <laughs> that is horrible. He goes, you call that soup? They said, no, that's what we were trying to tell you. We call it dirty dishwasher. 
or dirty dishwater. Amen. <laughs> so hopefully, maybe somewhere in his arrogance, and he learned from his ignorant, foolish behavior. But listen, we don't silence fools, I get this, by arguing with them. You don't silence them by arguing with them. Now, the way you silence them is by obeying God and submitting to the authority. We got it right here. That's what he says will happen. It's just like putting a, a muzzle on a wild dog, if you would, and to prevent them from biting. Our obedience to God, our submission to authorities that God has placed in our lives, our love for one another will muzzle others. It will render them speechless. Now, let me give you this principle I put up here. and I'm, not, I'm behind. There we go. How about that? I change people not by what I say, but by what I do. That's the principle from this verse. That's what he's saying. You put to silence the ignorance of foolish men by doing the will of God, which isn't arguing with them, isn't fussing with them, it is by living in obedience to the authorities he's placed in your life, by setting that example. And I need to live in such a way that anybody says something foolishly against me or against you, and you need to live that way too, won't stick because my actions speak louder than their words ever will. Do you live in that such a way? That's what he's trying to say. We need to leave the world speechless, the ignorance of foolish men speechless by setting an example of submission that muzzles them, silences them, is what he's teaching us. Anybody, how many of you used to watch the, the A-Team? You'll see how spiritual I am right now. Amen. Somebody, yeah. Y'all remember Mr. T on the A-Man, on the A-Team? I liked that. He had a line on there. I liked it. I pity the fool messes with me. Y'all remember that? Here's what God's saying. He's not saying pity the fool. He's saying muzzle the fool by living a life of obedience to the authorities I placed in it and silencing the critics. That's what he's teaching us. And so he teaches us that, listen, as followers, we're to submit to God's authority. By, and God's authority and obe is to obey those in authority he's put uh, above us. And we're going to write this one down. Then as servants, this is the last point. Y'all know what that means. There's about 50 sub points, right? <laughs> but as servants, listen to this. We go on and we read the next verse, and I love this. Praise God for this. <laughs> Look at verse 16 with me before we even get there. The first two words, as free. Hey, amen. Somebody ought to say amen on that. As free. Not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. But he starts as free. How many of you are thankful you're free in Christ this morning? Amen. He's talking about spiritual freedom. Hey, listen, I was a servant to my flesh. I was a, a lost sinner on my way to the devil's hell undone. But praise God, some preacher stood up, and his name was Dave Huffer, and he told me for week after week after week when I finally drug my rear end to church that I was a sinner separate from God, but that God loved me, that Jesus died for me, that he was buried for me, that he rose again from the dead for me. And if I would repent, change my mind, put my trust in him, if I would confess that means agree with God that I'm a sinner, that Jesus is the Savior, that he died for me, that he, that, that he would save my soul. He told me week after week the wonderful gospel message, the message you must believe to be saved, how Christ died for my sins and was buried according to the Scriptures and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And I, I understood finally that gospel message. I understood he's talking about me. And I, I understood finally that I was a servant to my flesh. I was a servant to sin. I, I thought I was free doing whatever I want, living however I wanted. All I realized I was under more bondage than I ever realized. And I turned to put my trust in Jesus 
Christ beside that race car one night. Listen, and at that moment, not only was I saved, not only was I justified, not only was my sins taken as far as the east is from the west, not only was my, they cast as deep as the depths of the sea, but at that moment I was set free. I was made free, and I am free indeed. Somebody say amen on that. You want to know what made me free? It was knowing the truth, and the truth is not a bunch of head knowledge. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. In John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 36, if the Son therefore has made you free, you are free indeed. How many of you are thankful we're free this morning? Listen, if you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior, then you are free. He says, ask free. Thank God we're free. I'll tell you what, I'm glad I'm free. Some of y'all aren't very glad you're free. Maybe it's because you're still in bondage to your flesh. Uh, maybe you learn, need to learn this principles we're teaching today so you can enjoy your freedom. Amen. Let me stop for a second. Because the context is still submitting to authorities here. I want to give you another truth from this before we go too far away from the government. Our freedom comes from God not from government. I think I got that up there. Let me write, yep. Freedom comes from God, not from government. Our forefathers got this right. Hey, hey, but with our governments now, as I mentioned earlier, I believe it's replaced God in this country in most people's mind. Even if it's subconsciously, it has. You remember the Declaration of Independence that says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their government. Is that what it says? They're endowed by their who? Creator. With certain unalienable rights that among these are life. Guess what the next one is? Liberty. Guess what liberty means? Woo! Freedom. Guess what? Freedom comes from God. And a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it does not come from government. That's why we stand up for our freedoms. That's why we fight for them. Because man didn't give it to us. God gave it to us. But in those freedoms... Thank God for it. As free, he says in our text. In those freedoms, there are some limitations. Read what he says with me, verse 16. As free, not using your liberty that came from God, remember, for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. He said, oh, man, I don't talk like that. What's the cloak of maliciousness? And here's what he's saying. You can't, you don't get to live however you want to live as a born-again child of God. That's what he's trying to tell us. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean I live like I want to live. I believe like I want to believe. I do what I want to do. It means now I'm free to live as I ought to live, to do what I ought to do, to believe what I ought to believe. In fact, Paul put it this way, Galatians 5, 13. He said, For brethren, you have been not called unto liberty, only you, or you've been called unto liberty, but use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another. And here in our context, Peter says this, I ought to do the thing I ought to do because of the freedom that Christ has given to me is obey God by obeying and submitting to the authorities he's put in my life. That's what the context is all saying. There are some scriptural limitations on our, on our freedom in Christ. Here's where we go wrong. 
You said, why would you pause? <laughs> Trying to figure out how to say this tactfully, but, but not take any of the truth out of it. We start focusing on, on the few things, and there are there some few limitations in our freedom? Yes, we just read some, right? Are there some few roles and regulations God's put in his word that we can and can't do? Certainly, it's in there, right? And here's what we do. We start focusing on the one or two or three things that God says we can't do instead of focusing on what God says we can do. And then we get all, become all Debbie Downers and negative Nancy. Sorry if your name's Debbie or negative, or Nancy, not talking about you. But we just get all... Oh, it's so hard. God, he, he's got so many restrictions on us, and I can't live, and woe is me, and so many, this is so hard, blah, 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 blah. Can I just tell you, I get to do a whole lot more in Christ than I don't get to do. I am more free in Christ than, than listen, listen, than, than I am free not to do things. And so, hey, listen, here's what we need to do. Instead of focusing on what we don't get to do, focus on what you do get to do, and do it to the best of your ability for the glory of Almighty God. That's where we need to be. <laughs> Instead, we do the opposite, don't we? We get real honest. We're free in Christ. I read one preacher. I like this. Uh, this is my new quote. I, I like this so much. He, uh, he wrote this. He said, I am so free in Christ. I can sit under a Christmas tree <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day wearing a Halloween mask hey, and eating an Easter egg to the glory of God. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that free? <laughs> You know, there's some that would see decorations and say, you can't, oh, you're worshiping. I'm not worshiping a tree. I'm worshiping Jesus Christ. Amen. And listen, I am free enough to have a Christmas tree and still tell you Jesus is the only way to heaven. We're free. Thank God for the freedom we have in Christ. But we're not free to live, believe, and do anything we want to do. We're free to live, believe, and do what we ought to do. That's what he freed us for. And then he gives us in verse 17. This is the heart of where I want to get to. That's why I'm going so fast. Hope you're listening quick. He gives us exactly what we ought to do. See, it's one thing to say, do what you ought to do, right? But then no one ever tells you what you ought to do. So how do I know what I ought to do? Well, I'm going to tell you. So read it with me, verse 17. Because here's the guidelines. Here's the, the godly attitudes and attributes that ought, to be, that ought to show up in our life and display in our lives. and The, the guidelines that we're called to live by in our freedom by also reverencing and honoring. Look what he says. Verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now you know I'm going to make that into an outline but. Here's what he's teaching us. Number one, we need to live in civility. We need to live in civility. Look what he says. Honor all men. Now, notice with me carefully. He doesn't say honor the people you agree with, does he? He doesn't say honor the people I disagree with. He said honor them all. Now, he doesn't say honor the people that honor me. He doesn't say honor the people that like you or the people that you like. He says honor all men. That is the responsibility of civility. Let me give you a, a principle here I want you to get. We can disagree and still get along. Don't know that? We, can, we don't feel like we can do that anymore in, in America. 
we can disagree and still get along. We're living in a generation today that believes disagreement is discrimination. I'm going to give you one more principle. Uh, Disagreement is not discrimination. They're not the same. You and I, Colton and I, could disagree all day long on certain issues. And I can still love him. I can still respect him. I can still honor him, even though we don't agree on that issue. We've lost that in America. We have no civility anymore in America. We have no civility in the church house. We have no civility in politics. We have no civility anywhere. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong, and I don't want anything to do with you. That's the way we act. By the way, he's still talking about Christians in the context. Oh, Christians are like that. We're called to honor all men. There's a lot of people I don't agree with, but I can still respect them. I can still get along with them, even if I don't agree. You know why? Because <laughs> I don't even agree with myself all the time. <laughs> and you don't either, if you get real honest. You ever looked in the mirror at the end of the day after doing something really stupid? You say you're not supposed to say that word. No, you do it too, and I do it. Amen. You ever done something really stupid? If you didn't, you just lied. Amen. <laughs> you look at yourself in the mirror. Why did I do that? I don't, I don't think like that. I don't do that. I don't agree with that. That didn't make you an enemy. <laughs> it made you human. And guess what? Disagreeing with someone else doesn't necessarily make us enemies. It just makes us human. And we got to get back to living with civility in our lives. And uh, If you think you're going to have to agree with everyone on every issue to get along, you ain't going to get along with anybody, including yourself. And some people live there. Can I get a witness? Amen. And we need to learn to be civil. Let me give you some examples. and We'll go on. We preach the Bible pretty straight here. Amen. Straight as I know how to do it anyway. And there's some things the Bible's against that I'm against. All right. Things like that. Maybe you're not. That's okay. Uh, some people believe alternative lifestyle's fine. Some people believe getting drunk's fine. Some people believe, uh, listen, uh, some other issues that I disagree with, that the Bible disagrees with, that we stand firmly against here at, at this church. But listen, just because we stand against issues doesn't mean we hate the people. There's a difference there. Listen, acceptance of people and approval of their actions are two different things. We forgot that in America. We forgot that in our church. I can accept anybody and everybody. I don't care what your lifestyle is, but I'm not. doesn't mean I'm going to approve of it. It doesn't mean I'm going to change my preaching because you're here. Amen. We can be civil with folks we disagree with. We just love you too much to let you stay like that. We'll tell you what the Bible says about it because we love you so much. And we want you right with God. The quickest way, one preacher says all the time, I like this, the quickest way to a man's heart is not down his throat. <laughs> Jerks for Jesus, as one other preacher says, is not a legitimate ministry. <laughs> we got to get back to learning civility. You know, I can sit down with people who don't even want anything to do with the Bible and have a good civil dialogue with them. <laughs> By the way, if you can't, how are you ever going to win them? And we've lost that in America. And God says, here's how we ought to live. Even we disagree with something. We need to learn this attribute of civility and learn to honor all men. Go on with me. We got to go. Uh, how about this one? I call this one charity. Charity. Look what he says next. Honor all men. 
love the brotherhood. Everybody see that? Brotherhood here isn't talking about the Moose Lodge or the Mason Lodge or your fraternity if you were in one in college. Talking about born-again believers in Jesus Christ. It's talking about brethren. Listen, if you call God Father and I call God Father and He calls us sons because we believed on the only name of the begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you and I are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And He's telling us we need to love the brotherhood. Love one another. There's just something special. I'm going to tell you sometimes about the family of God. <laughs> there's, there's some times, and I hope they're not listening to this later on, but there's some times I'd rather be around God's people than my own people sometimes. Somebody say amen. Don't, don't say it loud because I will tell them you said it. Amen. <laughs> some pe- I'm closer to some of God's people than I am my own people. <laughs> and God commands us all throughout his word. We are to love the brethren. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 1 John 4.7 Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Verse 12, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 Corinthians 13, as, as you go there, listen, I know we're using wedding services and all that stuff, but you want to know what it's really about in the context? It's about learning the value of love and charity amongst Christian brothers in the local church. It's written to a local church. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Charity, love, suffereth long, is kind. Charity envieth not, it vaunteth not itself up. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not our own. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never fails. He goes on to tell us about some of those sign gifts that we're going to fail, that we're going to go away. But he says, here's one that's better than all of them. It's charity. It's you and me loving one another in the brotherhood and as brother and sisters in Christ. He calls us to love. Let me tell you what, how you can tell if you got it. What true, true charity does in the brotherhood, it serves other people. And it elevates other people above ourselves. That's what true charity does. Unfortunately, most Christians today do the opposite. Huh? So most of them expect other people to serve them. Most people expect uh, they, their thoughts and their wants and their desires to be elevated above everybody else. He says, no, you love them and you elevate theirs more. We're to love the brother home. In fact, it's one of the ways to make sure you're saved in the first place. First John 3, 14 says, we know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. Listen, if you claim to love God and you don't love the brethren, you better check up on what you're claiming. Amen. I got Bible for that. <laughs> claim to be saved and love the brethren and, and you don't love the brethren? Uh, you better check up what you're relying on for your salvation because my Bible says if you're truly born again, you will love the brethren. We need to get back to loving the brethren. Civility, charity. Look at the next one. I call that one maturity. It says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, fear God. You know, only mature Christians fear God. Immature, still sucking on their bottle Christians, you know how they treat God? They treat him like a bellhop. 
They treat him like a, a genie in a bottle. And, and God, you're here. Everything's about us. It's about us. Can I remind you, he is the holy, divine, sovereign God of the universe, and it is about him, not about us. We get our eyes off us and get it back on Christ, it'll fix all that mess in our life. And the reason we don't is because we don't have a reverential fear of God anymore. I'm not talking about stupid fear. I'm not talking about, I didn't read my Bible today, God's going to kill me. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a reverential fear. In fact, that word fear comes from the Greek word phobia. It literally is where we get our English word phobia from. It means an awe, a respect, a reverence of who God is. We need to get back to walking and living our life that way. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 says this, Fear God and keep His commandments, for that is the whole duty of man and everybody else says i want to want to know what god's will for my life i just gave it to you fear god and keep his commandments that's the whole duty of man there's god's will for your life but we don't keep them because we don't fear him anymore you want to know why because we've never got to that place of spiritual maturity where we got a right view of god and so god as he really is until we get there friends you're gonna be like a termite in a yo-yo so confused up and down and all over the place. You need to get to that place. Get your eyes off man. Get your eyes off circumstance. Get your eyes off what's going on. And get them on an almighty, perfect God. And reverence him and respect him. Then lastly, look what he says next. Honor all men. The idea of civility. Love the brotherhood. The idea of charity. Fear God. The idea of maturity. Finally, this one. Honor the king. Honor the king. Remember when he's writing this. You can't miss this. Contextually. Nero was the emperor. Remember what Nero was doing? The Christian. He's gathering them in. I mean, they were, he was killing them, burning them at stake, bringing them into the Colosseum, feeding them the line with thousands, cheering it on just because their faith in Jesus Christ. When Peter writes this, listen, get, get the context. When Peter tells them, you need to honor the king, he's writing to Christians whose king is doing that to them. And we think we got it so hard. <laughs> he says, honor. You know what it takes to honor? Someone you don't, maybe don't even agree with? It takes humility. We don't have a king. I understand that today, but we live in a country where we got a president. Amen. And even when God raises one up that we strongly and demonstrably disagree with, whether you strongly and demonstrably disagree with the one we had for the last eight years, or whether you strongly and demonstrably disagree with the one we got now, God raises them up, He puts them down, and regardless of who it is, whether it's Obama, whether it's Trump, listen, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or Nero himself, God says, honor the position that He put them in. Honor the king. Honor him. It takes humility to do that. Remember, it's the position, not the person. It's the office. I don't have to swallow their policies. I don't have to believe in their principles. But I do have to, as a born-again Christian, pray for, respect, and honor their position. And that, my friends, sometimes takes some humility, doesn't it? And God will never lift you up to where he desires to lift you up until you first lower yourself. Until I first lower myself. 
Because my Bible still says if you exalt yourself, God will abase you. He said, what's that word abase? What does that mean? Let me just put it in common sense English. He's going to cut your legs out from under you. Amen. <laughs> That's what it means. Listen. If I embarrass you or some teacher embarrass you or whatever, that's, that's one thing. God cuts your legs out from under you. Not only will you know it, everybody else is going to know it too. It's not a place you want to be. So take care of it yourself so he don't have to. Because he said, if I exalt myself, he will base me. But praise God, if I base myself, then he will exalt me because God resisted the proud and he gives grace unto the humble. We need to honor the king. Honor him, he says. Take some humility. There was a man I read about was in a religious art gallery. Place you'll never see me. Y'all just <laughs> mark it down. Amen. <laughs> I don't get art. All I see is the lines. And I thank God for artists and people that can see that. I just don't. I just see. I said, man, I could have done that. Give me some paint. There you go. There it is. And, uh, <laughs> but I thank God for those that got the other side of the brain that I don't have that can appreciate things like that. And, uh, he said, I'm not sure you got the half you talked about. You had, you're probably right. But he had this religious art gallery, and he went there to it, this man did, to see it. And, I mean, it was huge, it was large. And In fact, it took so long, he was there for a couple hours checking out all the scenes. And he, he finally, near the exit, came up to a, a wax sculpture of the crucifixion. And he's there, and it's got Jesus on the cross. It's got the, both the the thieves on each side. And, and I mean, it was depicted in detail. I mean, the, the, the artist obviously went to Isaiah 53 to, to get some of the details. This Jesus, I mean, his body was beaten. It was bruised. It was, it was broken. The details are out of this world. And the man also based it on, obviously, some scripture uh, there from John where it said that when Jesus, he, he gave up the ghost, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost over there because his head was down. He said the way the lighting was and all that, he, he couldn't see he couldn't see Jesus' face. He couldn't see like the grimace. He, he could see the other thieves and he could see the pain and the grimace on their face, but he couldn't see the face of Jesus the way the light was. And so he so wanted to see it, so he did everything he could. I mean, he came over from this angle and tried to look and, and see, and he came from the right and the left. He, he got up on his tiptoes. He, he looked all around trying to find it, and he, he just couldn't see, and he really wanted to see. And There was this wise old janitor, the way the account goes there with his mop bucket, and just kind of watching him. Just rolls over there with his mop bucket to him. He said, sir, if you want to see the face of Jesus, you're going to have to kneel down. Can I tell you, friends, that's still true today. If we're going to see his face, we've got to get off our tippy toes. We've got to quit pounding our chest and making it all about us. And we need to get down on our knees in humility. We want to see the face of the Savior. We need to learn to live in civility. We need to learn to live in charity. Learn to live in maturity. Learn to live in humility. Those are the characteristics as the servants of God which he called us in this passage. We are to display as we respect, submit to the authorities God's put in our life. If you'd stand. Father, we thank you for these principles. Lord, these are hard to swallow. I'm preaching as a prideful person. 
to a room full of prideful people. And Lord, the last thing many times on any of our list is humbling ourselves. But Lord, if we're ever going to truly build the spiritual house you've commanded us to build, Lord, if we're ever going to go further in our spiritual walk, if we're ever going to grow up maturity, Lord, it's going to take not lifting ourselves up, but humbling ourselves, kneeling so we can see the face of Jesus. God, would you have your way in this invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eye closed. I want to challenge you this morning. This isn't one we normally raise our hand on. I understand that. but I'm, I'm challenging you to be honest this morning. How many of you would say, I need a spirit of humility in my life? How many would just say that's true about me? Hands all over the room. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have an invitation here. This altar's going to be open. I understand you can pray at your seat. But if you really want to exercise humility and not just say I want to do it, there's something even more humbling about coming to an old-fashioned altar, getting on a knee, saying, God, forgive me for not living a life of civility, for not living a life of charity, of maturity, and of humility. Break me apart and remake me, Lord. That's you this morning. As he sings, you come. Listen, if you need Jesus, you come. I'll take that Bible and show you how he died for you, was buried for you, rose again for you. And if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he shall save you. I'll show you that truth. You need Jesus this morning. But this invitation is for the church. We need to get back to a spirit of civility, charity, maturity, and humility. Whatever your need is, you come as they sing this morning. My father is rich in myself there's some areas in your life where you're not being obedient to God some areas in your life where I mean you're being contentious that's not the spirit of civility where you're being prideful not humility not full of humility where we forgot to love one another instead we want to fight one another that's charity we get those in our lives we're never going to be mature Christians we're just building a house on sand build it on the principles and the rock of the word God help us to have that spirit those attributes in our lives Jesus 
ask you this let me encourage you try to come out tonight we're going to have some testimony about the way God's moving and some of the opportunities he's he's opened some doors for us and some of the local schools you want you don't want to miss what God's doing uh, as we share some of that tonight maybe we'll preach on the church that died here maybe we won't we'll see what happens if we get there we great we do we don't it's great but just come here what you your lo- this local church and you as a body of Christ and how God's using us in some ways maybe you don't even know about tonight. It'll be an encouragement. It'll be a, a challenge to your hearts. And Thank you for being here. Don't forget brief meeting right now uh, for those that were interested in helping in the live nativity. We'll get you, Miss Lynn will get you in and out pretty quick here. And then uh, Tuesday night, again, big meeting, planning meetings. We get some of the details of it. Choir at four. 445 and uh, 430 if you can make it I heard him say that to the choir and uh, for choir practice tonight and uh, be in your place 630 tonight as we once again testify about God's goodness and, and open God's word and praise him tonight let's leave this place with simply those four characteristics in our life let's get back to learning we can disagree without being disagreeable I can love people that don't agree with me and you can love people that don't agree with you Get back to loving one another instead of fussing and fighting over the stupidest stuff. Get back to just mm, humbling ourselves and respecting and submitting those authorities God's put in our life. It's the safest place you could ever be, right dead center in the will of God. God, I'm going to ask Brother Price, uh, Perry Price, if he'd dismiss us in prayer. But before I do that, look to the his right. He's his his daughter and soon-to-be son-in-law is theirs. They they got engaged this week, so give them a hand. Amen. And if they survive marriage counseling, they might get married. Amen. <laughs> Brother Perry, would you close us in prayer?